Restless nights, a good soak in a hot spring is a great way to ensure that you drift off peacefully into a calm, restful night. The next morning, you're good as gold. And if you've stayed the night in Beitou, you're ready for another day of soaking. I'm Curious John, and I'll see you again next week. The Sound of the Puyuma Tribe on Radio Taiwan International. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight. Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin. Amanda Harvey is from Australia, but she has been in Taiwan for 17 years. She is the founder of You and Me Taiwan, which is a platform for connecting groups of people, companies, and individuals within Taiwan to help them with international communications, team building, creative thinking, etc., etc. Amanda is also a communications coach and a counselor in mindset training. Last week, she was talking about her life before Taiwan. Today, we're going to begin with more in-depth understanding of mindset training. Yeah, so besides you and me, Taiwan, you've got this part, uh, it's mindset training. That, of course, also involves communicating. Absolutely. But mindset makes me think of like, you know, just what they're thinking in their mind. Yes. And you're helping them kind of organize their thoughts or something? <laughs> well, mindset, basically the way that I would define mindset is the um, set patterns and habits of belief and thought that people have about themselves and about the world in general. So, you know, the things that people think that they are or aren't good at, the things that people believe are possible for themselves um, or that are possible in general, I think all is a really important part of mindset. And it's also about attitude. So, you know, whether someone generally has a more positive kind of optimistic attitude or tends to see the negative side of things, but specifically, it's what people believe to be true. I'm probably going to be jumping around a lot because I've got That's all these fine. questions, you know, or questions in my mind. <laughs> I can try um, some jumping too. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe because I've never really taken like self-improvement kind of classes. Right. I, I, I guess I couldn't really imagine what that is like. I mean, in the right. actual workshop itself. Right. When you do them on Zoom, how many students to to one teacher? That, it, that's, it varies. It varies. Um, it definitely varies. I've what, tried, you just said something about 50. That is actually what I've done more in person. Right. With okay. a group of 50. Now with Zoom, you can't do um, 50, right? Well, you technically can, but so yeah. far I haven't. This yeah. is actually stuff that I'm really just kind of playing with at the moment, seeing yeah. what kind of configurations work, yeah. um, whether small groups are better, whether it does work for bigger groups. But I do think that what I'm actually doing with my mindset training, the focus that I have at the moment is actually could work with really any number of people because mm. it's actually for people to work individually with me guiding them. 
Mm-hmm. So giving them a set of questions to go through and getting them to actually think about their answers and then to think about ways in which this is helping them or not helping them mm-hmm. and then the parts that are not helping them, how they can actually start to make those particular areas of their thinking or their mindset, how to gradually begin to change those because it is definitely a gradual process. It's not that somebody's going to go from thinking I'm a failure to thinking, you know, the world is my oyster overnight. That's a really big jump. Um, But for someone that feels that things are not going the way that they want them to in some particular area, for them at least to then go through some steps of at least believing that it could be possible for them to be more optimistic and for things to go a little bit more the way that they would like them to go. Mm. So just gradually helping them to retrain their thinking um, to be more optimistic. So these clients, they don't just take one workshop with you. I mean, it's a continuous kind of thing. Yes. Well, I've actually, I did for a few years, um, a few years ago, I had an online life coaching business, mm. which was working um, one by one oh, with yeah. people. I, yeah, I figured. And I really loved doing that. Mm. And the people that I worked with really loved the work that we did together. And that was something that was a really nice part of my career at that stage. What I found at that time was that my kids were younger and doing that and then also I was getting more demand for doing things in person, not only in Taiwan, but also around Asia. So I felt that it was a little bit hard to try and juggle everything. So mm-hmm. at that point, I shut down my life coaching site. Oh, I see. Um, but now this year, especially because of the pandemic and not having as much travel available or not doing as much in-person um, face-to-face work as what I was doing, say, a year ago, I actually decided to start a new um, website and a new online um, training business. Uh, and life I decided, coaching, you mean? Well, to actually not do – life coaching is very broad, and I decided okay. to make it a little bit more specific this time and to actually focus on the thing that I'm most interested in and I think is most important is kind of at the basis of really, I think, everything, which is people's mindset oh, okay. um, and people's beliefs about things yeah. and to work with them specifically on that. So not not necessarily helping them to figure out what is the best career for them, but helping them to get to the place where they actually can um, use their own thought processes in a more productive way. Can you talk about one particular example, maybe? Like, yes. um, can I say a success case? A su- yes, a yeah, success case. Yeah, in Taiwan. Case. In Taiwan, talking about um, mindset training or talking about... Anything. Okay. Um, well, basically working with a group of teachers who um, are actually teaching English and for them to get to the point where they were much more confident in their teaching abilities, getting better results from their students, um, even classroom discipline, they were able to handle that better after I did this training program with them. You're talking about Taiwanese teachers teaching English? Yes. yes. And they're like what, uh, elementary school teachers or? Yes. They are. Elementary school. Wow. Okay. So that was one particular example. And education is actually something that I really am quite passionate about about as well, because I think that 
teaching kids. And I think, you know, it just all kind of ties in together. As you mentioned, Taiwan has the goal of becoming um, a bilingual country. Yes. And I think that, you know, giving people, especially kids, the opportunity to actually use their English more and mm. to create, you know, more realistic situations for them and just making it practical, making it something that they can actually connect with. What's it been like teaching Taiwanese people and what kind of clients are you getting mostly that are coming to you and, you know, opening up workshops with you and well, I've done this a, benefit from you? I've worked with a variety of people in really? A, in really a lot of different types of areas, wow. um, ranging from technology to healthcare. And they um, come to you. They know about you. They come to you. I, I mean, you didn't have to I approach also, them. No, I do also okay. sometimes connect with people to introduce my company because I think that my company is not necessarily all that well known yet. Uh -huh. And so it's no point having a really fantastic service that I can offer if nobody knows that it exists. So I think it's important for me to also connect with people, meet people, let people know what I'm doing. Uh -huh. um, okay. But I think that as time goes by, and what I've found in the past is that when people get to know about you, and then they will tell other people oh, about yeah. it as well. So I think that it does take time. You're listening to In the Spotlight with Shirley Lin. What's your impression of Taiwan? It's um, a lot of things, really, Shirley. Uh, I think, you know, the biggest thing is the people. Taiwanese mm. people are amazing. I mean, they're just friendly and they're warm and they're inclusive. And I find overall non-judgmental that they will accept people and not necessarily make, you know, have preconceptions about somebody based on where they're from. From the first moment that I arrived in Taiwan, and I didn't come to Taiwan with any long-term plan, I came here <laughs> to see my husband and I, having been in various different countries, we were like, let's try Taiwan. <laughs> and I arrived, and um, the first moment that I got out of the airport, and you know, other than noticing the intense humidity, yes. what I noticed was just a really warm and, and friendly feeling, family-oriented, I think that That's another thing that I really like about Taiwan is that it's a very family-oriented yeah. place. How, 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 do you, how do you sense that? Family-oriented? I just noticed that, you know, all ages of people interact really well with each other, that it's oh. not. And that's something I noticed just from my early days in Taiwan is that, you know, teenagers taking care of their parents or grandparents and grandparents taking care of little children oh. and So it is really like a warm family kind of feeling and very inclusive. Right, I like feel. living under the same roof with your in-laws kind yes, of thing, right? Yes, yes. Which I don't doesn't know. always it work doesn't always for work. everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a, a Taiwanese mother-in-law, so I'm okay there. <laughs> I believe that can be challenging like in any culture. Yes, yes, it's true, oh. it's true. But yeah, the yeah. people definitely, I think, okay. you know, are one of the things. And just, just the feeling, the atmosphere, I have felt, you know, since I've been in Taiwan, that it's just been a really nice place to be. It's quite relaxed. People are not, you know, they're not that serious a lot of times about things like that. Um, I think, you know, just the relaxed style as well. I came before Taiwan, I was in Seoul in South Korea. Uh -huh. And that's very, very fast paced. And, mm. you know, people are very serious overall. And um, just even the style of clothing. I mean, I like quite a relaxed lifestyle. And in Seoul, people are dressed up and made up, you know, to the, the max. Uh -huh. you I've know, not you been need to Seoul yet. Yeah. You need to put on your three inch heels just to walk down to the convenience store, <laughs> like an inch of makeup. Um, Apparently, and, Japan's like that too. Yeah, yeah. right. I think, yeah, 
Korea, I noticed, especially there, is very, very um, uh. appearance conscious. Uh-huh, and, you know, uh-huh. and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it can be really nice and stylish. And But I think for me, Taiwan is a little bit more relaxed. And I feel that I don't have to be so um, necessarily so formal all the time. I can just be more myself. Oh, that is so neat. Maybe some kind of comparison to Australia as well. Uh, yeah. I feel that, that Taiwan and Australia have some things in common, just being fairly relaxed and uh, the people being quite friendly and helpful. What about the food and everything? Is that all? Of that course, all I good? love the food. <laughs> <laughs> the food is great. <laughs> I've always loved Asian food. Even really? when I lived in Australia, I actually, prior to leaving Australia, I lived really close to Chinatown and I used to eat Chinese food like at least three times a week. Oh. <laughs> and it's funny, but that's one of the things when I was living in Portugal, I missed good Chinese food. Oh. <laughs> I really did. Yeah. They, at that time, I mean, that was 20 years ago, there was no good Chinese food. We found one Chinese restaurant in Portugal and it was terrible. It was like <laughs> nothing like what I'd had before. So, you tried yeah, to learn Chinese cooking? Um, I'm not a cook. My husband oh. is a great cook. Um, oh. and He can cook all different <laughs> kinds of styles. He does, really? basically, he does kind of a fusion of a lot of different things. Oh my goodness. Um, not a typical uh-huh. um, style of any particular one oh. nationality. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, well, I think we don't need to cook Chinese food because we can go out the door and eat fabulous I food know. everywhere here. That's the other thing, the convenience here yes. in Taiwan, right? Really convenient, yeah. yes. Yeah, having the population. I mean, the population of Taiwan is basically the same population as Australia, but we are spread <laughs> out so far <laughs> that yes. you've just got to go a really long way for anything in right. Australia. I mean, yeah. in the city is not as much, but right. still, it's just here is really convenient. Yeah, And oh. the opening hours too. I mean, you can buy anything at any time in Taiwan. That's right. In Australia, when I was there, and it may be a little different now, but, you know, there were closing times. Like if you wanted to shop after six, there are 24-hour supermarkets and things yeah. like that. Okay. But a lot of shops will close at six o'clock oh, in really? the evening. So, oh, wow. Yeah. What advice do you have to Taiwanese people in terms of, you know, your specialty? Yes. Right? Or what have you seen mm-hmm. in Taiwanese people? Mm-hmm. And what, what areas do you see probably needs improvement that mm-hmm. people Taiwanese people can do better? I think one thing really is to develop confidence. And that's easier said than done. But I think that a lot of Taiwanese people, even who have a lot of expertise in their particular fields, don't always have the confidence to communicate that. And I know that part of that is language skills. Um, that it's not necessarily that easy to come across as professional, even if you have knowledge. It's like if you asked me to talk about my specialty in Chinese, it would be way, way harder for me to do that. I wouldn't probably do a very good job at all. But just to believe in their own abilities, to have the confidence even to just speak up and, and, you know, to really try and, and make yourself understood whether or not you think that you can express yourself perfectly or not. But I do think that just daring to actually speak up and be heard. Um, I do think it's a cultural thing as well. And sometimes that can be a little bit of an obstacle in dealing in the international kind of arena, because in Taiwanese culture, it's not really a done thing to to kind of toot your own horn, so to speak, uh-huh. to 
talk about how great you are at something. Whereas in Western culture, we do a little bit more of that. You know, oh. we're not shy in in actually expressing. Oh, it's actually know, the shyness, we, right? Yes, yes, shyness. That issue, I think yeah. definitely, yeah. yeah, shyness yeah. can really be a question. So, how can people find you? I mean, do you have a website? The best ways for people to contact me would be maybe to send me a request on LinkedIn, Amanda Harvey in Taiwan. I think there's a lot of Amanda Harveys in the world, oh. but I might be the only one in Taiwan. Thank you, Amanda. Shirley, thank you so much. Classic shorts, poems, and stories from Chinese literature. Hello and welcome to Classic Shorts. I'm Natalie So. Today I'm going to be reading some of the famous poems of the great Tang Dynasty poet Du Fu. Now these were written in the latter years of his life, lamenting much of the upheaval of the dynasty by the An Lusan Rebellion. Here's his poem, Both Sides of the Yellow River, Captured by the Imperial Army. News at this far western station. The north has been recaptured. At first, I cannot check the tears from pouring on my coat. Where's my wife? Where are my sons? Yet crazily sure of finding them, I pack my books and poems, and loud my song and deep my drink. On the green spring day that starts me home, back from this mountain. Past another mountain, up from the south, north again, to my own town. This is his poem, "A Long Climb." In a sharp gale from the wide sky, apes are whimpering. Birds are flying homeward over the clear lake, and white sand. Leaves are dropping down like the spray of a waterfall. While I watch the long river always rolling on, I have come three thousand miles away. Sad now with autumn, in my hundred years of woe, I climb the height alone. Ill fortune has laid a bitter frost on my temples. Heartache and weariness are a thick dust in my wine.
In the latter years of his life, he moved his family to present-day Chongqing, near the Yangtze River. And you can see many references of this river as he writes his last collection of poems. This one is called From an Upper Story. Flowers as high as my window hurt the heart of the wanderer. For I see from this high vantage sadness everywhere. The silken river, bright with spring, floats between earth and heaven. Like a line of cloud by the jade peak, between ancient days and now. Though the state is established for a while as firm as the North Star, and bandits dare not venture from the western hills, yet sorry in the twilight for the woes of a long-vanished emperor, I am singing the song his premier sang, when still unestranged from the mountain. And our last poem from Du Fu today is called Staying at the General's Headquarters. The autumn night is clear and cold in the laka trees of this courtyard. I am lying forlorn in the river town. I watch my guttering candle. I hear the lonely notes of a bugle sounding through the dark. The moon is in mid-heaven. But there's no one to share it with me. My messengers are scattered by whirls of rain and sand. City gates are closed to a traveler. Mountains are walls in my way. Yet I who have borne ten years of pitiable existence find here a perch, a little branch, and am safe for this one night. Those are some of the famous poems of the great Tang Dynasty poet Du Fu. Thanks for tuning in to Classic Shorts. I'm Natalie Sell. Listen! Are you listening? <laughs> This is the sound of my country. This is the sound of Taiwan. Taiwan, a small island with a whole world of sounds. RTI, exercise for your mind. You're listening to News Playlist. We've queued up some of the most interesting reports for you, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. Welcome to News Playlist. I'm Paula Chow, the program host. 
President Tsai Ing-wen has appointed leading business tycoon Maurice Zhang to attend this year's APEC summit. On her behalf, Zhang is the founder of the Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, or TSMC, the world's largest chipmaker by market capitalization. This year's APEC opened in Malaysia on Friday virtually due to the COVID-19 pandemic. At a press conference held on Tuesday at the presidential office, President Tsai Ing-wen announced that she has appointed TSMC founder Maurice Zhang to attend this year's Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit on her behalf. This will be the fourth time that Zhang has represented Taiwan at an APEC summit. This year's APEC Economic Leaders Meeting will be conducted virtually on November 20 in Malaysia. The theme for 2020 is optimizing human potential towards a resilient future of shared prosperity. Zhang said he hopes to win more support for Taiwan during the event. President Tsai gave the APEC delegation two missions. First, to convey that Taiwan is willing to contribute more to global pandemic prevention. Second, to strengthen ties with other countries to boost Taiwan's role in global supply chains. Taiwan's digital minister Audrey Tang has also been invited to participate in the APEC CEO dialogues on November 19. Online shopping surges on Singles Day in Taiwan. Workers have been getting ready for a spike in orders on Singles Day, a major online shopping bonanza that hits Taiwan and other parts of Asia on November 11th. PC Home says the new iPhone 12 has led to a surge in the purchase of Apple products. Online website manager Xiaoyu Jie says their website has already delivered 100,000 orders between 8 p.m. on November 10th and 8 a.m. on Singles Day. PC Home has discounts of up to 89% and bonus points for their top 500 brands. Momo Shop, meanwhile, is giving away five motorcycles and offering bonus points for certain credit cards. Yahoo is also offering bonus points. Since people can't leave the country, shopping online has gone up twofold. Singles Day began on November 11th, 2009 on Chinese online shopping site Taobao. Now it's become a day for big sales elsewhere in Asia, too, and Taiwan has caught on to the trend. Natalie So, RTI News. The Eden Social Welfare Foundation has introduced an elder care program across Taiwan. The program offers food deliveries as well as classes on flower watering, singing, and exercise to help senior citizens stay healthy, both physically and mentally. Besides frailty, the thing that worries Taiwan's senior citizens the most is loneliness and social isolation. Now, the Eden Social Welfare Foundation has designed a fun and a relaxing program designed to alleviate these worries. One participant in her 70s says she enjoys watering flowers and vegetables and doing exercise along with others her age. The woman used to suffer from depression and dementia. But the elder care program offered by the foundation has made her happy again. Another participant, this one in his 80s, loves to sing. He says the program teaches him how to do exercise and offers singing classes too. He practices both at home. The foundation has opened 18 different daycare centers for senior citizens around Taiwan. 
This is News Playlist, a weekly rundown of some of the most interesting news reports brought to you by RTI. Watch along on YouTube if you like, or close your eyes and enjoy these stories by way of sound. The Taiwanese have traditions of observing rituals to bring a good harvest or prosperity. A recent activity held in a village in Pingdong was full of these rich traditions. Though it's not the ghost month, the county holds a festival near the end of each year to appease the ghost and to pray for a prosperous new year. Pingdong County has an annual festival to welcome in a new year of prosperity and good weather. It's a traditional haka practice to pay respect to the spirits so they don't bother the people in the new year. This year, nearly 500 people attended the festival. Adults and children alike scrambled for the snacks, crackers, and balloons laid out on the ground for people to grab and take home with them. There were also candies and lottery tickets for grabs. People were so passionate about the activity that all the goodies were swept up in 10 minutes. The climax of the festivities was when people were blindfolded while trying to catch ducks or piglets running around them. The special Hakka festival is a fun way to end the year and to usher in their hopes for an even better new year. Shirley Lin, RTI News. In addition to linking Taiwan's distant corners together, the Taiwan Railways Administration is also a culinary powerhouse. Classic railway meals are deeply imprinted in the memories of many Taiwanese people, and new sets appear from time to time as well. Those who have traveled Taiwan's railways before are likely familiar with the Taiwan Railways Administration's special railway meals, a selection of mains and sides artfully served with a generous helping of Taiwanese rice. Taiwanese people are enthusiastic about these railway meals. For many, their smell conjures up nostalgia and memories of journeys past. And so it is that each year, the Taiwan Railways Administration holds a festival dedicated to their railway meal sets. For four days beginning November 13th, the 2020 edition of the festival will see a showcase of special edition sets, including sets featuring regional specialties and unusual ingredients, such as the citrusy pomelo fruit. Fans of more conventional railway fare will also be pleased. The festival will feature a recreation of a classic railway meal set once served during the 1970s. The event is sure to please both old-time rail aficionados looking to relive the meals of yesteryear and those looking for new twists on old themes. John Van Trieste, RTI News. Taiwan's handling of the COVID-19 pandemic has spared it from an economic downturn. However, not all industries are chugging along just fine. Traditional markets have seen better days. But now the economics ministry is deepening by promoting what matters the most, food. If you're looking for a taste of the authentic, there's no better place to cure your cravings than a visit to a traditional market. But in recent years, supermarkets and big box retailers have moved in on the grocery game. It's hard to beat modern-day variety and the convenience. Throw a global pandemic into the mix and traditional markets will struggle. Since COVID-19 hit, traditional markets in Taiwan have seen sales drop 50 percent. 
Though Taiwan's economy is faring quite well now, traditional markets are still trying to get back to normal. The head of Taiwan's traditional market coalition, Lu Liren, says the country's consumption begins to climb in November and it peaks in December. Traditional markets are only just now starting to recover, but that's no reason to get lax. The economics ministry is stepping in and it's holding a competition to find the best fish paste in all of Taiwan. Economics officials say that in Taiwan, products made from fish paste have an annual production value of 300 million new Taiwan dollars. The ministry is inviting traditional vendors from around Taiwan to serve up their best fish paste dishes and go head-to-head in a nationwide cooking competition. One thing's for sure, there's nothing fishy about economic recovery. Leslie Liao, RTI News. And that's all we have for this week's edition of News Playlist. For Radio Taiwan International, I'm Paula Chow. Bye-bye. The Overseas Community Affairs Council is encouraging overseas journalists to report on the contributions Taiwanese have made to the world so that the world can see Taiwan. The OCAC is launching the Chinese Language Journalism Award for Overseas Media. Journalists can compete for two awards, the Print and Digital Report Award and the Broadcast Report Award. Entries that showcase in-depth professional reporting have the chance to win $2,500 U.S. dollars. The deadline is November 30th. Go to www.ocac.gov.tw for details. Belize and Taiwan have had, over the years, have, to my mind, to a large extent, been directly linked to our development priorities. And health is an important uh, indicator of, of our developmental needs. Hello and welcome to this week's On The Line brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Huang. The ambassador of Belize, Ambassador Diane Haylock, said... 2019 marked the 30th anniversary of the establishment of the diplomatic ties between Taiwan and Belize, adding that the relations are strong and solid as Iraq. The two sides have had many cooperative projects, and today we start with the health project. Faced with the pandemic and to contain the spread of COVID-19 in Belize, Ambassador Diane Hailock said Taiwan has donated masks during times of need and PPE or personal protective equipment, medical equipment, testing kits, thermal imaging cameras and laboratory supplies for frontline medical service providers. For years, Taiwan through Taiwan ICDF or International Cooperation and Development Fund has helped train hundreds of health personnel from Belize. And one signature program is geared towards the prevention and control of renal failure in Belize. To find out more, we're joined in a studio today by the Ambassador of Belize, Ambassador Diane Haylock. Ambassador Diane Haylock, thank you very much for coming to our studio and welcome to Underline. Well, 
Carson, allow me to thank you as well for having me here this morning. I know that we've been talking about this for quite a few years. I've been in Taiwan for four years now. And so uh, this, this, this conversation between us is... Um, Should we say long overdue? <laughs> But really, it, it, it is truly a pleasure to be here with you today. Ambassador, last year we know marked the 30th anniversary and I personally was invited by you to attend a celebration of yes. the establishment of the diplomatic ties between Taiwan and Belize. Now, if you look at the 30-year relations, how strong are the relations between Taiwan and Belize? Well, I believe that Taiwan and Belize's uh, relationship is extremely strong. I and I say that with uh, with confidence that we have a very strong, um, abiding uh, uh, relationship that, to my mind. Um, Has been built over those thirty years, and 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 I, I really think it's uh, it's it's solid as 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 a as a rocket this time, and it has a lot to do with the respect that our two countries, you know, uh, afford each other. You know, um, it's 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 the kind of uh, relationship where we. Even though there are there are differences between Belize and Taiwan, you know, I think that fundamentally we have a great appreciation and understanding for the realities of of our, of our two countries, and and in that regard, you know, we can count. On each other, as we have over these thirty uh, years, mm -hmm. and normally strong relationship also comes with strong cooperation. And I believe that Taiwan and Belize have had so many cooperative projects in various areas, including healthcare, vocational training, and economic development. Can we first start with the area of healthcare? Because right now the whole world is facing the <laughs> in pandemic. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Um, as as you as you rightly observed, uh, there are numerous areas in, in which um, our two countries have cooperated over those 30 years. And health, the pandemic aside this year, is vitally important to a young, a relatively young nation um, like Belize, because uh, you may know that we are only 39 years old uh, as of uh, 2020. So, In 2021, we would celebrate 40 years, you know, as an independent um, nation. So the, the the kinds of cooperation agreements that Belize and Taiwan have had over the years have, to my mind, to a large extent, been directly linked to our development priorities. And health is an important uh, indicator of, of our developmental needs, you know, as, as, um, as a young nation. So in a general way, um, Taiwan has, uh, through the IC, Taiwan ICDF, has a, a health personnel training program. And hundreds of Belizeans over the years have benefited from that particular program. We, we're, we're talking about um, 
one month to three month uh, sort of uh, in-service, you know, training opportunities where Belizeans come to Taiwan and participate in some health-related, you know, um, training program. And so I, I can't recall actual figures, but that that has been an important area for us in helping to increase the capacities of our health personnel, both in terms of um, doctors as well as, uh, as, as nurses and other health sector, you know, related um, personnel, right? Um, but for me, one of the signature health-related programs has been a program that is geared towards the um, prevention and control of uh, uh, renal, you know, failure. Um, I, it is unfortunate, uh, but our reality in Belize is such that we have a very high percentage of um, diabetes and hypertension. Um, I, I think the figures are somewhere in, 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 in the neighborhood of about 30%, you know, of, of, of people in the country are affected by one of these two major non-communicable disease. And there, there is a direct correlation between these diseases and renal failure. This is Radio Taiwan International. Well, beginning 2016, right through to 2019, um, Belize and Taiwan had a cooperation project to prevent and control renal failure. And it, there, there were several um, activities that were carried out in this regard. Uh, for instance, going back to the area of training, Lots of training, hundreds of training took place in Belize, you know, across communities to help community people, community health workers to be able to carry out educational awareness. Because, you know, people have to be aware. People yes. have to understand yes. what is happening here and not just see it as something that is um, by chance, you know. So we have to understand how we live and what are the kinds of changes we have to undertake to be able to improve, you know, our health circumstances in in that particular area. So lots of training took place in that area. Um, intensive training took place for medical doctors as well as uh, nurses and also ICT um, personnel, because one of the things, one of the important objectives was the establishment of an um, epidemiological, you know, um, report, regular epidemiological report as far as chronic r renal failure um, or, or chronic uh, kidney disease goes. And, and so we needed to be able to develop or information system to be able to better understand how this thing is playing 
itself out in the context of the entire country, be able to report on it so that you see, for instance, where the improvements might be taking place, where perhaps they're not, you know, where they're getting getting worse. So over that four-year period, you know, um, some really good information has come out of that out of that project. Um, I want to. I want to underscore the involvement of not just uh, the government of uh, Taiwan through the ICDF, but in particular, Far Eastern Memorial Hospital, which was sort of the, the, the main um, institution in Taiwan that partnered with the Ministry of Health in Belize to implement, you know, to execute this, this program. And, and I think that Far Eastern has really done an, an amazing, amazing job. Um, we have a problem. We have a problem. We have had people unnecessarily die from renal failure. And, and with this project, um, I, I think um, the, the figures are something like uh, about 13 Point nine percent, you know, of the population is mm-hmm. affected by this, and and that is high, that is high. Yes. So you could see that this project was vitally important to the well-being of our of our society. And at least it has helped to ra- raise the awareness of the people. Um, of the public health, especially how important it is, like to address the issue of hypertension and diabetes. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, what about the uh, coronavirus? I know. <laughs> well, you know, um, Taiwan, as 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 uh, as you are aware, has this um, tagline: "Taiwan can help. Taiwan is helping." Um, you know. Sometimes people say things, but what you say and what you do are two different things. I think that in the case of Taiwan, Taiwan is truly carrying out that philosophy that, that um, can you help. know, definitely Taiwan can help and Taiwan is helping. And Taiwan has helped Belize tremendously. Um I I can't uh, I can't speak to actual numbers, but if you if you go back to the very beginning in terms of where I think Taiwan in itself tried to address the problem of mask, for instance, and you know that there was that period where you could not Taiwan had to build up its own stock before it could begin to export mask to other places but once Taiwan got its own numbers in in, 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 in you know in place it was then able to portion of significant amounts of mass to be able to share with in the first instance its diplomatic allies which as you know Belize is one mm-hmm. of those uh, 15 allies so there was Thousands and thousands of masks, you know, that were sent to 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 Belize. Um, 
the whole area of the the PPE, you know, the yes. the personal protective equipment, you know, for frontline workers, you know, um, there was a lot of assistance in that in that regard. There was also in terms of uh, some of the necessary equipment, like the temperature, you know, the the yeah. the, the, the the forehead one, as well as the um, the the one with the um, camera, you know, the the thermal the thermal yes. imaging. Mm-hmm. You know, there are all of these new terminologies that you're still having to get used to. But the thermal imaging, you know, to be able to set that up in strategic, you know, locations. And then there's also been a number of um, virtual conferences between, you know, Taiwan experts and, you know, the Belize, you know, uh, critical uh, health personnel to be able to talk about the virus and how we could better understand what is going on based on, as we know, the superb best practices that have obtained in, 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 in Taiwan. So Taiwan can help and Taiwan is helping Belize and I'm sure will continue to do so. And that was the first part of our interview with the ambassador of Belize, Ambassador Diane Hallock, talking about the health project. Do join us again next week as Ambassador Diane Hallock will tell us more about the bilateral relations between Taiwan and Belize. And that's it for this week's On the Line, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw. Our 60-minute English program can be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6185 kHz. In South Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199 Taipei, Taiwan. You can also email us at rti at rti.org.tw.